switch to Spectrum Mobile and get unlimited data for only $29.99 per month each when you get two or more lines. You could save hundreds on your mobile bill. Plus, there are no added taxes, hidden fees, and no contracts. Click to try the Spectrum Mobile Savings Calculator, and in three easy steps, you'll see how much you could save. Visit SpectrumMobile.com save. Offer valid for new customers on two or more unlimited lines. Spectrum Internet required. Restrictions apply. Visit SpectrumMobile.com for details. Um, hearing the voice of the Lord and knowing God's will, seeing him. The Bible talks about so many different ways that God communicates to us. All right, so one of the things that we want to just look at is we're going to go into Acts chapter 2 in a few places tonight. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he... Um, <clears throat> In response to Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit would come, they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, they would receive power. And of course, when they were gathered together and they had been praying, seeking the Lord, when the Holy Spirit showed up, and then they were all speaking in other tongues and languages and dialects, declaring the, the mighty works of God. <clears throat> and then what ended up happening, of course, is they were saying, so what is this? What's going on? And Peter refers to the book of Joel. He said, this is what was written by the prophet Joel, that in the last days that God would pour a spirit upon all flesh. All right. So that's the context for what we, we see happen on the day of Pentecost, which was one of the three great holidays that they celebrated, one of the feasts. So the new covenant was ushered in through Jesus. It is a covenant that um, was paid for and inaugurated by Jesus' blood. No more needs for animal sacrifices, anything like that. So that's the deal. So what ends up happening um, is Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when they, he preaches a message, he challenges them, uh, the Jewish people, to turn to Christ and he says in verses 38 and 39, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the language is clear that the repentance and the baptism is for a purpose to receive something. What? The gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So... All, think about that. There's a lot of, of stuff there, that a content there that we need to really consider seriously. So we repent, we're baptized, why? So we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is what he's saying. Now, does that always mean that you have to be baptized before you receive the Holy Spirit baptism? No. I mean, in Cornelius and Acts chapter 10, um, the Holy Spirit fell while Peter was preaching, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, and then they were baptized in water. So, but here is, here is kind of the thing, ideally, like this is the formula. <laughs> but the promise, what promise? That you will receive the Holy Spirit. And it really goes back to Isaiah chapter 59, where he talks about a new covenant. And the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off. A little footnote there. Um, far off means to generations that haven't been born yet, or it can mean to the Gentiles, to those who are outside of the covenant 
that God made with Israel. That's what different commentators say. All right. So it's to those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So on the day of Pentecost, the new covenant was inaugurated. And in the new covenant, it really is the covenant of God where the consummation of that is seen in the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in people, uh, being upon them. Jesus said in John 7 that the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you, but not yet because I haven't yet been glorified, but after I'm glorified, then the Holy Spirit will be in you. So they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and now the anointing came upon them, and they began to encounter God in a new way. No longer was it a few select individuals like a king or a priest or a prophet that God called and gave him the Holy Spirit. Now, every person who came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior had access to the same Holy Spirit, the same anointing, the same power, the Bible says, or the same spirit even that raised Jesus from the dead. So it would be men and women, all nations, all generations, all social classes would have access personally and individually to the Spirit of God. All right. In particular, this is what I want to point out tonight, is the coming of the Holy Spirit would result in the people of the Lord shifting into a supernatural, revelatory realm of God, of the Holy Spirit. This is a fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel, for God says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my Spirit in everybody and cause your sons and daughters to what? prophesy and your young men will what see visions and your old men will experience or dream dreams the holy spirit will come upon all my servants men and women alike and they will prophesy all right that was from the passion translation the word that is translated visions there's a footnote there in the greek language can mean to have your eyes open to divine encounters and to see into the spiritual realm to see into the spiritual realm, okay? So that's interesting. You can actually see in the spiritual realm. You can have your eyes wide open. These are not daydreams, but visions of the heavenly realm. All right. In the New Testament, we are informed that Jesus came to model, okay? He came to model for us when he was on the earth for three and a half years how God wants us to live in terms of a relationship with the Father. One of the greatest challenges that we have is to live the way Jesus did. It's not easy, but that's what we're shooting for. And that's what, if any, to live like Jesus lived. He said, if anyone says he abides in me, walk even as he walked, 1 John 2, 6. When Jesus was on the earth, he only said those things, he heard, he heard his father speak. That's what it says. And he only did those things he saw his father doing. In John chapter 1, it talks about how Nathaniel, um, you know, encountered Jesus, and, and um, he said, Nathaniel, I saw you. You know, you were, you were sitting in the fig tree, and uh, you're a man in whom there's no guile. And Nathaniel was like, how did you know? How do you know who I am, and, and how did you know what I was doing? And Jesus talked about open heavens, and he said, you're going to see 
the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That is something. What did he say? He said that to whom? He said that to Nathaniel. You can see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending. Now, I'm just setting scripture here because if it wasn't in the word, I don't know about you, but I want to see it's in the word. Okay. And if that's if it wasn't in the word and somebody just told me something, I have a hard time believing it. My my tendency is is I'm kind of skeptical, I'll just be honest, because there's a lot of people that say stuff and I just don't know if it's really factual what they're saying. You know, well, I have this and that and you know, and I go to the third heaven every second day and all this stuff. And I just like, I don't think so. I just have a hard time with that because Paul, when he talked about going to the third heaven, he made it sound like it was extraordinary and very rare. So I think that people are way too flippant when it comes to encountering God supernaturally, way too casual in some people. But then there's another group of people who don't even think it's possible. It's like, what do you mean? I mean, right? Unless I see it, I won't believe. Who said that? Thomas, right? And so what is faith? The Bible says faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith is evidence of what? Things not seen. Paul said in Corinthians, we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul said, what we see is temporal, it's fleeting, it's passing. But what we cannot see is eternal. That means this material thing, your body, everything that you see on the earth that is material is fleeting. It's passing away. The Bible said there's only three things that will endure forever. The Lord from everlasting to everlasting, he's God. His word, his words, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then in 1 John, it says, those who do the will of God, in 1 John 2, will never pass away. They will endure. They will live forever. So that's very, very important to understand that. Now, there is a place, there is a spiritual realm. The Bible talks about the third Heaven. So if there's a third heaven, there has to be a what? Second and a first, correct? Okay. So in the beginning, God made the heavens, plural, and the earth. Heavens. There's not one heaven. There's heavens. All right. So the third heaven is where God dwells. The third heaven is the realm of God. It's amazing. Okay. Now, the atmosphere, the the stratosphere, the skies, all of that, that's the first heaven. And then there's, you know, the, the solar system. There's the, all of the stuff that we, don't, we, we can see, not with our naked eye, but we can see it's out there. And when you read the Bible, there's evidence of, um, I'm, I'm not going to get into all this tonight, but there's evidence that there are spiritual forces that try to block what happens in the third heaven from coming to the earth. Remember, we're to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Daniel 10, when Daniel begins to pray for 21 days, he prays. Finally, when the angel appears to him and he said, Daniel, 
you're praying for 21 days. I'm glad you didn't give up. He said, here's what was going on. The prince of Persia, which is a spiritual entity, a demonic stronghold, force, principality, power. The Bible uses that term in Ephesians 6 in the heavenly places, in the realms of darkness. Okay, this prince of Persia was blocking me from coming to you with the message from God, Gabriel, who was the angel who announced things, right? So what happens is the Lord dispatches Michael, the archangel, a fighting angel, a warrior angel, to do battle with this prince, this demonic stronghold. Okay. In First Thessalonians, Paul, the great apostle, the man who raised the dead, the man who had gotten caught up into the third heaven, talked about Satan has hindered me. Satan has blocked my way, is what he said. So there's things that the, the enemy can hinder, he can deter, he can try to stop us. Now, there is a spiritual realm. That's what I'm trying to make clear tonight. There's a realm that is not invisible to the human eye. It is not something that we can experience through our senses, but it's just as real, and in fact, it's even more real than what you see, what we can touch, what we can feel, uh, it's, it's, or what we hear. It's an amazing truth that the Bible talks about that. When I first became a Christian, I had a, an experience with God. I've had two experiences, heavenly experiences. One time I was preaching, and it was, I, all I can tell you guys is, I was gone. And this presence and this peace was so beautiful. And I knew I was up high somewhere. I don't know where I was. And I was looking down. And I could see and hear myself preaching. I could see and hear myself preaching. And I just, Lord, what is this? And then the next thing I knew, it was like I was back in my body and I could see things. So I don't know what happened. But I know Paul talked about how he was caught up, whether in the body, not in the body. You know, that's, that, that was very, very um, life-changing for me. Now, I didn't go to heaven. I didn't see angels. I didn't see streets of gold or anything. That was what happened to me. I don't know the purpose of it. There was another time when I had a dream. And in the dream, I heard... <clears throat> There was a particular scripture the Lord gave to me, and it had to do with how he delights in the death of his saints. And it was like this, just, a, I, I sensed it. It was so beautiful, the peace, the presence, and I could see like and hear myriads of angels, heavenly hosts, singing, worshiping God. There was just this, almost like, you know, this, this hum, and, and it was like the gates were opening, and those who had died, the martyrs, were coming in, and there was just such peace. It was just so beautiful. And then I heard the scripture. Actually, it was in, in um, Romans 8. It talks about they were led as sheep to the slaughter. The next day, I was very young. I was about 20 years old, 21 years old. I just became a Christian. 
The next day, the pastor at our church messaged me, or no, he didn't message me because we didn't do messages back then, right? He called me. And we were talking, and he told me, he said, hey, I was praying for you, and I just feel like I'm supposed to give you this scripture. And it was the same scripture in Romans 8 about how they are led like sheep to the slaughter, the same scripture that I had in my dream. And when I saw that, when I experienced that, it's just like the Lord just, do you see what it's like? Do you see there's another place altogether? And this is, this is reality, Glenn. This is home. What you see here, this earth is temporal. It's fleeting. It's passing away. This is your eternal abode. This is the place where the righteous are going to dwell forever. I'll never forget that. So there's a heavenly realm. There's a place that we're called to live in while we're here on the earth. Because in Ephesians, it says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? Christ is seated where? The right hand of the Father, far above all principalities, all power, all might, all dominion, all authorities, all rulers. And we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. We're here on the earth physically, but spiritually, there's something else altogether. So Jesus came, the Bible says, to model and restore how we're to live with the Father. I referred to this last week, Luke 19.10. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice it does not say those that are lost. Scripture speaking of something impersonal that was lost, past tense. He came to restore, I believe, what was relinquished in the garden as a consequence of the men and women sinning against God and his word. What was that? Intimacy with the creator. Relationship with the creator. By Jesus' death and his resurrection, through his death and resurrection, we were reconciled to the Father. We were adopted into his family. And consequently, the lines of communication have been reopened. And I love these two verses. And this is Saul of Tarsus when he was persecuting the church and he was having people drag up into court and so on. And so he's, he's on his way to Damascus to see Christians arrested and he has this encounter with Jesus, remember? And while he has this encounter, you know, he sees Jesus and he sees a bright light and he hears a voice. And then eventually what happens is he's blind. For a period of time, he's blinded. Then a man by the name of Ananias comes to him and he speaks to him. He talks to him about how he was chosen by the Lord. He's going to preach to the Gentiles. He's going to open their eyes from darkness to light and turn them from the power of Satan to God. And, and it specifically says this. Let's look at it. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will. So God wants us to know his will, to see the righteous one and hear him speak. Wow. So to know his will, to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For Saul, you are to be his witness. You are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and what? Heard. What you have seen and heard. All right. So I'm going to go over to 
Luke, I'm sorry, to John chapter 5. I was there last week and I mentioned this. Remember, we were talking about the Pharisees, right? And how Jesus said that the Pharisees diligently studied the scriptures. They diligently studied the scriptures. If you recall, I said that by the time a child, a son of a Pharisee was 12 years old, he was required, if he was going to really be faithful, um, to memorize the Torah, which we call, sometimes we call it the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had to memorize it by the time he was 12 years old. By the time he came out of his teenage years, he had to memorize the whole Tanakh, the law. So what does that look like? It would be the equivalent of us memorizing, say, um, the, almost the whole New Testament to the middle of Hebrews, some people say, memorizing it, okay? So they diligently studied the scriptures. Wow, that's not an exaggeration. The Pharisees, right? But what did he say about them? I want to find this in the Passion Translation again. <clears throat> verse number 39 of John 5, verse 39. Listen to this. You are busy analyzing the scriptures, frantically pouring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me. Yet, you still refuse to come to me. So I can... You diligently study the scriptures. The scriptures testify of me. But yet, you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Now, this is an amazing thing because if you back up to verse 37... He says this, <clears throat> my father himself who gave me this mission has testified that I am his son. But this is what he says to them. The same ones who were, knew the scriptures, that were pouring over the scriptures, studying it diligently, he says, you have never heard his voice nor seen his face. But they had the scriptures memorized. But Jesus said, you've never heard his voice nor seen his face. It's almost like Jesus is saying, why? Why haven't, you, why haven't you had these encounters with God, these spiritual encounters with God? It was like very normal for Jesus. This is mind-blowing, guys. But Jesus said in John 5, 20, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father doing, so he does likewise. So I replicate on the earth what I see in the heavens where my father is. So he had this amazing perspective into the heavenly realm. Jesus was a prophet. Do you know that? In fact, he was really all fivefold in one. He was an apostle. He was a prophet. He was an evangelist. He was a pastor. He was a teacher. He, he was a prophet, though. And the Bible talks about that repeatedly. And a prophet, is very simple, is someone who speaks what God is saying or God, God is showing him. Next, well, in one of these lessons, probably not next Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we'll go into the different types of Old Testament prophets and the meaning. There are prophets that had visions. There were prophets that were more auditory, and they just spoke. But 
there are different ways in which people encountered God. So Jesus was a quintessential prophet. Okay? I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Okay. We must be completely convinced. If we want to hear God's voice, if we want to have this type of intimate relationship with him where we know what he's saying, we must be convinced that he wants to talk to us that he wants to reveal himself to us, where the boy, Samuel, said, in, after being coached by um, Eli, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Say that during the week. Say that. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I want to hear. I'm listening. Speak. And Lord, help me to really have those ears to hear. Okay. The Lord delights to commune with his children. What father, a good father, a real kind father, loving father, of which our heavenly father is greater than any earthly one, does not desire to commune and be intimate with his children. So Jesus said, I shall not call you servants any longer, for a servant does not share his master's confidence. No, I call you friends now. Because I've told you everything that I've heard from the Father. Now, just go back to John 5.20, just the paragraph previous. The Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. Then Jesus says, I have told you everything that I've heard from the Father. Love this. Psalm 25.14, the Passion Translation. There's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. Wow. Sit near him. Okay, it talks about covenant, the, sec- the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him and he makes known his covenant to them. That's what the new King James, King James says. But there's, the idea is God makes known the revelation secrets of his promises. God's voice Hearing him, experiencing him, is not something for the privileged few. It's the portion and inheritance that comes with your birthright as his child. Jesus said in John 10 repeatedly, my sheep hear my voice, and they won't listen to the voice of a stranger. He talked on about that over and over again. Hearing the voice of God, experiencing him personally, intimately. And one of the things we're going to, just kind of just begin in this next part here, which has to do with how God actually speaks to men. And the statement is that the Bible is a history of methods by which God communicates to man and the response of mankind to the voice of God. So some of the ways that God speaks to men, obviously, number one, the written word, right? God's written word, which in the Greek language is called the graphe. God's written word. Um, So it's the graphe. He speaks through the scripture to us. And Hebrews chapter 2 actually speaks of that. Remember, when the book of Hebrews was written in the first century, I'm just going to read to you from the New King James. It says this. Verse 3, 
sorry, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the... Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. For the word spoken through angels, God spoke through angels in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Okay? What happened? It says, proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, meaning God spoke through the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the earth and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The apostles, they were witnesses. And then listen to this. God is also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So... Jesus preached, the apostles preached. We've got not everything that they said is written down. Obviously, the Bible is very clear about that, particularly everything Jesus did. So we have a snapshot, that's it. But then God's still speaking today. But the first thing that we have to say is when God speaks, okay, he speaks in relation and in harmony with the word. Okay, if someone tells you, and I know this probably goes without saying for most of us here, but if someone tells you, God told me this, and it clearly contradicts the Bible, the scriptures, run. Okay, run. Now, but we have a lot of people that God, Christians, believers, that God never speaks to them. And let me rephrase that. Because uh, I want to back this up because last week we talked about the fact that God is always speaking. You know, there are, there are radio waves being emitted. We don't see them. We don't always hear them. But they're there. So the Bible talks about he who has an ear, let him hear. Verse 2, verse 2. It says, incline your ear, okay, to God. Incline your ear. Um, so, so what does that mean, incline it? It means to prick it up is what it means in the Hebrew. Like a dog, when it hears a sound and its ears pop up. That's what the idea of the Hebrew is. When that dog's ears pop up and then it kind of turns those ears to tune into that sound. That's what he's saying. Incline your ears. Listen. Listen up. God's talking. Do you hear him? Okay. You got to tune in. Shh. Get on the right frequency there and listen. So... That we're going to go into what are some of the things that hinder us from hearing God's voice clearly. Well, let me just be honest. Whose voice is loudest in your life, in my life? Whose voice is loudest? All right. And we hear a lot of stuff clamoring, right? Because we got the voice of self-condemnation. We got the voice of doubt and discouragement in our own mind, the battle that we have in our mind and our emotions. We have the voice of people speaking to us. Sometimes the naysayers, those who, who try to discourage us, those who give us counsel. You know, we've got the, the report of man which contradicts what God is saying. And then we've got the report, we've got the voice of the devil even. There are times when the enemy speaks to people. And you're like, where did that come from? And that was, it was the enemy. He spoke to Jesus. And then we've got the voice of God voice of the Holy Spirit, and God speaks to us many different ways. But scriptural is primary. It's foundational, right? 
God speaks to man through his written word, the scriptures. When God uses other methods to communicate, they never conflict with his written word. Secondly, there are many biblical examples of God speaking to people when they were praying and worshiping, okay? Now, praying and fasting, doing without food for spiritual reasons, resulted in God speaking to Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, 2 and 3. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Isn't it interesting? It says the Holy Ghost said. It doesn't say how he said it. It just says he said. So was that a prophetic word through someone? It doesn't specifically say. But, okay, prayer, it was during worship, it was during prayer, that when they were ministering unto the Lord that way, worshiping the Lord, that that happened. Okay, prayer is to conclude the, include the request for the fulfillment of God's will on earth. Jesus taught his followers to pray, what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So we're to always pray, not my will, but your will be done. And when we mean that in our heart, we will be able to hear more clearly from the Lord when we really... So why would God share something with us when he knows we're not going to do it? All right, God knows our hearts. So God, right, you're not going to do it. So there are times when the prophets were silent. And why? Because they knew they weren't going to do it. There's, There's some amazing stories, particularly in the Old Testament, all about that. All right, Jesus prayed for direction from God prior to the selection of his disciples. Spends a night in prayer, according to Luke 12, uh, 6, 12, and 13. And he went into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Okay, so somehow the father spoke to Jesus, communicated to Jesus, the 12 that were to be apostles. He spent the night in prayer. While he's praying, the Father highlights these 12. These are the guys. There are many people following Jesus, great multitudes, but of all the multitudes, the Father spoke clearly to the Son. These 12 are to be the apostles. So it was in that time of prayer. All right. Father, if you be willing... Jesus prayed for God's will prior to his death. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We have to pray according to his will. Let me just close with this. In John chapter 7, verse 17. This is a very powerful verse. Okay? In John 7, 17, Jesus is referring to um, a very important principle when it comes to making sure that we hear clearly from the Father. What had happened is the, the uh, disciples came to him and said, the, I'm sorry, the Jews, how does this man know letters? In other words, how does he understand the scriptures so well, having never studied? He does not have a master of divinity or a bachelor of theology or whatever. How does he know the word so well? And Jesus answered them and said, my teaching, my doctrine is not mine, but his Him who sent me, his who sent me. Okay, then what? If anyone wills to do his will, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. 
If you want to be able to know if something's from God, okay, or somebody's just speaking on their own authority or it's from another source, you have to be willing to do his will. Willing to do his will. Okay. There was a time when after the city of Jerusalem fell in the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C., that what ended up happening is the, the remnant that was left in the land came to Jeremiah and said, Hey, Jeremiah, will you seek God? Ask him what we should do. Should we stay here or should we go to Egypt? What should we do? And when you hear from God, come back and tell us whatever it was that the Lord says, no matter what it is, no matter what you tell us, what report, we'll listen, we'll obey. So Jeremiah goes, prays, about 10 days later, he comes back to them with the word of the Lord. And he tells them to stay put. But they want to go to Egypt. They want to escape. And so they had already said, look, Jeremiah, whatever you tell us, we'll listen. So Jeremiah comes back. Nope. God says, stay here. Don't go to Egypt. If you think you're going to, you know, flee, you're going to leave, flee war and all that's going on, you'll be okay. He said, you'll perish there. And you know what their response was? Jeremiah, you're lying. And Jeremiah looks at them, and in the Hebrew, he says, you were the hypocrite in your heart. When you came to me and you said, whatever God says, whether it's evil or we don't like it or we like it, it's pleasant or, not, or unpleasant, we'll obey. Jeremiah said, you were a hypocrite in your heart. You really didn't want to know God's will. You had your mindset that you were going to leave and you wanted to do your will, and you were hoping that God would just come along and put his stamp of approval on what you wanted to do. And that's when they didn't, when the prophet didn't tell them what they wanted to hear, they told them he was a liar and he wasn't hearing from God. If any man wills to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it's from God or whether it's from another source. What's God's will? What does he want? You've got to be willing to do his will before you can know that. Amen?